Hello, everybody. Hello. Good day, and welcome back to another Merged Worlds Dungeons & Dragons story stream. Um, today, we will be continuing our harrowing tale, tale nonetheless, of our heroes and their adventure. Um, I have some pretty big stuff going to happen today, I think, if we get there. I guess we'll see. Um, but yes, I'm excited. So hopefully you are too. Uh, I do appreciate you coming by. Uh, if you're watching this currently or even in the future, it would be awesome if you would consider giving this video a stream a like if you're on YouTube. Um, and if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, where it is available as a free podcast, uh, it would be awesome if you wouldn't mind giving it a rating or a like or a stars or you know whatever it is on that that you're on <laughs> it'd be great uh, but yes that would be also very very helpful uh, i want to thank everybody who's been doing that uh we've seen some uh new reviews and uh, uh some new followers on uh spotify and itunes so i do really appreciate that all right so um, for those of you who are new, just a real brief recap. I have been writing and running the same Dungeons & Dragons storyline for, oh, 30 years. And every Thursday now, I get here on YouTube and I share that story. Um, we've reached a point that I'm writing all new materials, so the content that's coming out and that you'll hear today, uh, no one's ever heard before, other than the one or two ideas that I bounce off my wife uh, that I have to be careful aren't important because she has a bad habit of mentioning those things in front of other people. <laughs> Oh, you know, the the struggle is real. Um, but we'll do a real brief recap of where we left off and jump right into it. Okay? So, last episode, Seraph had to go on a little bit of a solo mission to retrieve something from one of Darstopia's islands. The Forbidden Island, if you will populated by large gemstone golems that will destroy anyone or anything that sets foot on the island. Sent in to get pieces of the gemstone crystals that can be found the island itself in the trees. We had a little mission adventure to go through there, was successful, and uh, returned back to the pirate ship, uh, the Wave Strider's pirate ship, he's the pirate lord, Sleeping on the couch tonight. She doesn't listen to this. I'm lucky, Hanzo. <laughs> yeah. Um, he returned back to the ship only to find out that the crystals were seemingly of no value and it was more of a test because Pirate Lord had a history. Dina's family took it very seriously, her protection, but has decided to assist Seraph and friends uh, by taking her to what would be, or taking them to what would be the next link in the chain. Chain being the groups of people set up to help Dina flee should her life become in danger. Um, after they left, uh, the captain quickly scrambled to pick up the crystals he'd thrown on the ground that he'd acted like they were unimportant, and then very carefully set them inside of a box where some other crystals, like that but of a different color, were already kept. Returning to their room, Seraph uh, let it be known to Deacon that he had one of the crystals still that he kept, 
gave it to Deacon to see what he could learn about it. Uh, because, A, it could be important to Darsh. If nothing else, they'll get it to Darsh since it's one of his islands anyways. Um, then we finished up with Artis, Maeve, Ran, Petal, and Kip showing up in Arduel. By the time they'd arrived, uh, Seraph and them had been gone for uh, quite a while, several weeks, I believe. And they found another message, one of the magical messages that Deacon leaves for Petal. Only they can see, or a very powerful wild mage might be able to see. That's not very... Um, and saying that they were going east after Dina, but that was all that it said. At the time they left, they didn't know exactly what was going to happen with the Pirate Lord. They just know they needed so, searching the docks for a word, or maybe even a ship, they found that the Miss Dandelion, the ship named after Dandy and Darsh's first ship, was there. It had been sent by Darsh to Arduel in case anybody, any of the kids, did arrive there and need a ship. Captain of the ship, a man named Lyman, who was Dandy's first mate many, many years ago. Captain of the ship ever since, since Dandy's pretty much gone ashore was there, uh, and he is well-funded to be able to provide journey for artists and her friends. So, uh, got on the ship, it was pretty much ready to go, and we're beginning to shove off to head east after their friends who are still searching for Dina. That is pretty much where we left off. So, um, we are going to continue today, starting with artists' group, and continuing with artists here. So, I know that I have a habit of saying artists' group. Um, it's the group of four children. But very back in the day, I used to say Darsh's group or Mercy's group. It was the same kind of thing. All the children are important. I want to stress that. Artist is not the most important, but uh, in many ways, she does kind of fit into a leadership role with the group. Partially because she's a princess. From a social standing, she is the highest rank. One day she'll be a queen. Um, but she doesn't see it that way, and neither do they. They're just friends, and very often they just all have a habit of letting artists make big decisions. Although she, she does try to not let it be that way. Her friends just kind of somehow seem to follow. All leaders themselves, except for when in a group with artists, they usually will defer to artists. So... The ship is pulling off, right? It's pulling out of the port, if you will. Preparing to head east. Um, oh, MT says, oh no, I'm, I'm late. I'm here now. It's okay, I just did covered the recap. We're actually just starting it right now. You're, you're perfectly timed. So, um, as artists, you know, as they're pulling off the ship, right? You can imagine that all of them are kind of hanging out near the edge, watching the city go. Um, some of them, I mean, like Maeve, spent a large part of her life on ships. When she wasn't in Serenity, she was back with her father. And a lot of times she was following her father on out on ships and boats. So she's she and her siblings would have been taught and would have worked on Darsha's ships. It would have been things he would have wanted them to know, regardless of their life path knowing boats and how to survive on one and the different jobs and the things you need to know about the ocean would be something he would want to pass down as it was passed on to him. So all of his children um, are quite capable of working or knowing, you know, how to fit in on a ship should they need to. 
Um, and while Maeve is good at that, I will say that her siblings are better because they spent way more time doing it than her. At the same time, at this point in their lives, Maeve could probably easily take any of her siblings in a fight. Uh, while they are, of course, Darsh would have trained them to fight, they're no slouches themselves. Maeve, you add in her abilities as a paladin, and she's probably going to mop the floor with them if she really had to get into it. Um, but still, they're all excited seeing Arduel pedal, and Ardis and Ran have probably never been on a ship before. Kip has, many times. Kip's older. Um, but for them, it's kind of exciting to be on the ship and seeing it push off. As the ship is leaving, and they're kind of you know, looking and smiling and you know, looking at all this cool stuff going on on the ship, scanning the crowds that are on the docks, because it's a busy place, Arduel's dock. It's be a large amount of people moving around there, loading ships, unloading ships, um, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and so there's, it's very busy on the docks, and it's midday, so it's a busy time. And as they're pulling off for just a moment, Artis sees someone in the crowd. For just a second. And then the crowd, you know, just in the movement of the crowd, the person's not there anymore. She only got the tiniest glimpse of this person. But she couldn't really see who it was. There's a distance. But for some reason, it stuck out in her mind. You know what I mean? Like, you ever see that in a crowd, and all of a sudden someone's there, then not there? You've seen it in movies a million times. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, just the overall shape. Something about that person stood out in the crowd, and then they were gone. Now, she does keep that information to herself. She doesn't really bring it up to anybody because she has no reason to at this point. You know, if there's, you know, if it's if there's anything wrong, it could have just been some face in the crowd. Maybe she saw him at the inn earlier. But she does make a mental note of that because artist is not an idiot. And she also knows that there are issues out there with people like Shastra. There's a name I haven't brought up in a long time. Shostra tried to kill Seraph when, she, when he was a baby. A bunch of undead showed up to try to fight and attack Serenity just, you know, years earlier. Artis was there for all of that. She knows that vampires and undead and things are an issue. And so they all would have a little bit of, they would have knowledge about that, what to look for. Now, granted, as I said, it's the middle of the day. So she doesn't think she saw a vampire, you know? Draven could be walking around. Seraph, who's partial. They, they are, obviously. But a full-blooded vampire or something walking around the crowd is not what she thinks she sees. But, that, again, that's something in the crowd that stands out. She has some knowledge and training on that. So she's like, mental note. I'm, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. I saw someone out there for just a second. And I don't know why. Something about them stood out to me. So, the Miss Dandelion continues to head east. Now, they're going to be going through Elven waters first, San Triel, but that's peaceful waters. They expect no trouble there. And then they're going to stop in Coromon for supplies, because by that point, they'll have traveled a good distance. There's a long distance to get through Elven waters. Elven waters are huge. Uh, and then Coromon, there's this mountain range between what is officially Coromon, where the mountains and the cliffs are just so sharp, no one lives there. They're going to be trading that way. Now, they're all pretty excited about this trip, right? Also, the man in the hat. That's correct. Good call, Michael. They also would have grown up fearing the man in the hat, or at least worrying about him. And they all got to see him mop the floor with Draven, which is not something they would expect to see. Only one person slightly stood up to him, and that was Petal, and he fled from Petal. Why? They don't know. But he did. I'm sure that's something in her mind as well. 
There's a lot of things out there that are problems. Plus, they know that something's chasing Dina, right? Dina's fleeing from something. They know that. So, what's chasing Dina? In the back of their mind, you have to assume, knowing what they know of their lives and of Seraph's lives, whether the kids know about the prophecy, which for the record they do, there was never anything kept hidden about. And they're not going to send them out without at least knowing something about it. Seraph's known it his whole life. You know, it's you better be prepared because at the same time, it's that training is, hey, there's something out there trying to get you. You need to know why. They all have a bit of that information. They know what's out there. And you have to assume they would have thought, hey, is something trying to get Dina to get at Seraph? Because that's very possible, right? Seraph is very important. There's a lot of things out there that really want to mess with Seraph. Going after the woman he loves would be a way to do that. Got to remember, they don't know at this point about her connection to Arduel. Princess, or not Arduel, I'm sorry, of uh, Oromon. They don't know that. Seraph found that out from the people in Arduel, but they did not know that. At this point, they just know something's after Dina. Seraph went after them, along with their friends. They're chasing after that. They're very excited to see the Dwarven city. Of course, you can imagine that. They've never been there. They've never really been anywhere, other than Darshtopia a little bit. But they've never really been outside. Yet they've met dwarves from Corman. They're a training, trading partner. They have shown up many times. You know, Cole is the ambassador of Corman. Comes to uh, uh, Serenity quite often because they're a major train uh, trading partner. So they know dwarves. They've heard stories about Corman. They've heard the adventures of their parents and what they did in Corman and helped take it back. You can imagine Cole would have. Oh, you, I just should have seen your father, or your mother in there doing this or that. You know, they would have heard those tales. <laughs> Hello, Queen of the Sea. Enjoy your pizza. <laughs> but they would, you know, they know all this. So getting to see the places they've heard about their whole life is a big deal. I mean, they're on a mission. They've got serious business, but they're walking in their parents' foot. Uh, this first time they ever were in Arduel. Now they're on the ship that used to belong to Darsh and then belonged to Dandy. That brings a lot of history with it as well. So, they plan on going there to Corman to get supplies. It's what a good, good place to get because they don't have a whole lot of information of what's past east. They have some, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But they don't know what's distanced in the east. They're going a direction no one's ever in their circle have ever gone. I'm sure people have traveled there many times. Now, Corman, if you'll remember... <clears throat> Way back when they first went there, they took the Miss Dandy line because they needed a small ship that could make it through the cliffs. There were glyphs up there that hit it so that only the dwarves could find the path in there. Um, it's been many, many years since then. <clears throat> and the dwarves' kingdom has grown exponentially. Uh, while they were just a shadow of the amount of dwarves there used to be, because over years dwarves often left, once Coromin is settled, it has kind of the same effect as New Gully did on uh, Gully Dwarves. You know what I mean? Dwarves hear about this. What, there's a Dwarven kingdom? I'm from a world, I've been 15 years, I've been wandering around merged worlds, I can't find my own life, but at least there's a Dwarven kingdom? Okay, I'm going to head there. I'm going to at least find my people. I'm gonna, you know, maybe, there, maybe other people from my world are going to go there too. It's a gathering place for Dwarves. So Dwarves, any hearing about this, that would be a place that they would be pulled to. Um... 
And that's just standard with most of the races, except for the elves, because Santriel might not be normally let other elves in too, back when they had their borders closed. Since then, that's changed. Um, so getting to Corman, what they've done at this point is they have built, like you still have to go in, and they have taken some time to widen those cracks. It's not as hidden as it needed to be. Um, and but now bigger ships can get through there, but you, they only go in a short distance and there's an area that's basically been built into a port. Uh, so the port is protected still within the cliffs. Someone trying to attack it would still have to go through these cracks, one ship or two ships at a time. Uh, there's a couple cracks they've widened in point that literally there's an in and there's an out. You know what I mean? They would have it that way. Ships coming into Corman would go in through one of the cracks and go through there, would come out the other way. It's a way of A, keeping it protected, no large navy is going to come charging through there at that point. One at a time, the dwarves can take them out. And I guarantee you, there is a large amount of things built into those cliffs that the dwarves could bring them down if they need to. Dwarves are not idiots. They will, if they, they'll shut themselves off in a heartbeat if they think that's the safest thing for them. Uh, Queen Lucy says, I really need to get caught up. I've just gotten a little past where Danny and Darsh and gang show up and start out. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's... This is episode 77. You have a ways to go. <laughs> Some of this stuff I'm about to mention will uh, be for you. Be when you get to those parts of the story, be like, oh, that's what he was talking about. <laughs> so you get in that distance. You get in the, 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 the cliffs of ways, and there's literally a, a port city. To remember, Corman has the big giant doors, and outside of that, a small city had, had, had popped up. That's where the dwarves who stayed were living because they couldn't get into Corman because of the evil that was in it. Um, now that city's bigger. They've re, they're all living down inside Corman again, but this port city has popped up and has grown quite a bit because Corman is now trading. It started with Darsh, then it started with Arduel, and as soon as the elves jumped in within just literally recently, that opened up floodgates for them to cut a lot of their trips shorter, so now they don't have to go around Elven Waters, which, as we mentioned, is a big space, Right? So now they don't have to cut across that, or now they can cut across that. It's going to be way easier to trade, and now the elves are a trading partner. Um, plus, the dwarves trade a little bit to the east. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, so they get into this port city, lots of docks. There's several ships there, and the, sh and the docks are... Uh, the little port is nowhere near the size of Arduel or Darshtopia or any of that stuff. Even Thorman which of the southern cities had the smallest port, Corman's is smaller. It's newer, so it's, it's, it's designed in, in, in really good condition because it's newer, um, but it's smaller because it's still relatively new. And not as many people are coming all the way out here. Thorman is not coming all the way over here. Thorman will deal with Paxwell, and Paxwell deals with Darsh and Arduel, and they trade with Darsh and Arduel, right? And the dwarves also can trade with Serenity because they have access to a realm gate. A lot of stuff going on. So you can imagine this is way bigger. Now, they're not going to get into Corman. They're going to come to this port city, and that's as far as they're going to go. They don't have time to hang out and take a tour of the underground city, which could take days and weeks. Uh, so they won't get to see the original Corman like their parents did, but they are going to get to see this trade city that they probably haven't seen except for Darsh. I'm sure Darsh has been here. Uh, let's see. So they're going to come there. They're going to, they plan on staying there just a day or two. Uh, they're going to stay there hang out a day, probably stayed in inn. You're going to want to get off the boat every, a little bit at least. And um, ask. Because they're going to ask around, right? Because they are chasing people. 
hey, has anybody shown up here that looks like in kind of like a muscular elf with really long white hair and a little gully dwarf with a mohawk and tattoos? That's all you have to say. They are going to stand out in a dwarven port city, right? Have you ever seen anybody who looked this weird? No, man, we would have noticed them. Or, heck yeah, we saw them for sure. It's going to be very, you know, it's not going to take a lot of searching in Coromon to know whether they've come through. But, still going to ask around. And artists is always going to be in a little bit of a pinch that Seraph and Deacon are not. At no time is artist going to pretend she's someone else. It's a cleric of truth. Cannot go around lying all the time. There are exceptions to that rule. Bending the truth for the good of like saving lives and stuff. She's not one of these, I have to tell the truth and everything. But you understand, she's not going to lie just for the benefit of it. And with her mother and her technically being trading partners of Corman, she can't just show up and not say she's there. So they're aware of this. This is something that they're going to have to deal with, at least until they get outside of the known lands of uh, the Southern Kingdoms, where it doesn't matter that she's a princess because no one knows what Serenity is, or they've heard of it, but it doesn't matter. So they're making their way towards Corman. Again, I'm talking a lot about Corman because we haven't got to actually see it in a while. Last time we were there was very different than it is now. Think about that. That was, Seraph was just a baby when that happened. Now like 20, right? It's been 19 years approximately since anyone in the party has actually gone to Corman. Corman's come to Serenity and helped many times. No one's really gone back to Corman. I'm sure some of the knights have, probably. Somebody who acts as an ambassador, right? So, they're going to stop and they're going to see if anybody there has seen Seraph, Deacon, who might, he's, it's easier for him to hide who he is. He does not have to let people know he's the Prince of Firemoon. Not a clear of a truth. Now, once they got on the ship, though, overall, uh, the voyage was actually quite enjoyable, right? Any of them never had this kind of experience before. Uh, Maeve immediately stows her armor away in their room. As I mentioned, the three girls are sharing a room. Uh, Rain and Kip have a room. And she immediately starts working on the ship. She's probably been on the ship before. She probably knows or is known by at least a decent amount of the crew. And there's no way she's not going to step up and start working and earning her keep. You can imagine Darsh finding out that she sat there and watched everybody work. That would not go over well. His kids were raised better than that. Darsh worked his own ships, and so will his kids, by all God. You want to see a penny of, me, a penny of mine when I'm gone, you're going to earn it. Kind of a mentality, right? I see, but that was also when the group picked up the sword for the prophecy. Oh, Michael, you remember that? Yes, that's where Artemis walked into the room. <laughs> Interesting. I love it when you guys pick re remember these little details. It makes me so happy. So Maeve is immediately out there working with the crew. And the crew, sure the crew appreciate it. They know her. The crew is still mostly human. Um, the ship was Darsh's. He gave it to Dandy. And then Dandy and Michael used it for hunting undead. And then, when they kind of went ashore, the ship went back to still staying on Darshtopia. It fell under Darsh again, and Darsh used it for things and so on. But more than anything else, he kept it in good condition kept it in good condition, he made sure that it always had a good crew, and should the day ever arrive when Dandy's like, I need a boat, Darsh wants to know that thing can leave within the hour. 
you know, Dandy's his little his little buddy, and he's always going to make sure that it's ready when she needs it. So the ship is in immaculate care. There's Darsh spends zero expense on this. So the ship is very good condition. Probably got pretty kick-ass weapons and armor on it should the ship get attacked. It has a sea mage. He probably has some skills. It's not a weak little sea mage. Smage, as I like to call them. The Mave jumps in and starts helping out. Ran does some as well. He has no experience, uh, but he does try to step in and learn what he could. You imagine Ran coming from that type of a serving group. of We serve the king. We serve this. I can't just stand here. I'm not paying my way. I need to do something about it. Let me jump in here and help where I can. And it may be something as simply as grabbing a mop and swabbing a deck. There's no such thing Ran would ever cons consider is beneath him if he believes he's serving the right cause. Uh, Queen of the Sea, quick question. How well is this doing on iTunes? I had a penny spare for more things here. I'd buy the whole series. It's free. It's free on iTunes and Spotify. I should stress that. It is a free audio podcast. Um, iTunes is, I'll be honest with you, for those of you, a little peek behind the curtain here. It's a little bit harder to get metrics from iTunes. Spotify, I can get updated metrics by the minute. But iTunes is a little bit harder uh, to, to see metrics. It does better on Spotify than iTunes, from what I can tell. Um, but iTunes also has the ability to rate it with like five stars and give a review. Um, which I hear Spotify's going to that, getting to have that stuff soon. But iTunes has that. So um, that's the big thing I'm going to get. Check it out for free. Listen to it on there. By all means, it's literally this, me taking this and cutting it into an audio format and putting it up there. I don't do much editing in the story at all. So uh, definitely you can go ahead and, and check it there. And again, if you do, it'd be great if you gave it a follow or some stars or a review. But how well it's doing, it does. It has a very small following, but those people listen to a lot of episodes, if I could put it that way. So um, definitely I'm trying to get folks to give it the stars and the reviews and the likes because then Spotify and iTunes will suggest it to new people. The more reactions it gets, the more it shares with other people. Again, it's free. I don't make any money on that. That's not why I do this. I just want to share my story with as many people as I can. The more people's eyes I can, and ears I can get in front of is all I'm shooting for. Hello, Bionics man. But yeah, I make, they're free on iTunes and Spotify. I never charge a penny for them. That's I'm not going to charge somebody to hear my Almost at the point I'd pay you. I don't have the money or I would. <laughs> so he gets up in there and he's mopping decks or pulling on ropes or whatever. Um, and he's, he's cut. Like he's in really good condition. Probably even more than Maeve. I mean, Maeve's just walking muscle. Minotaur, that's how that works. And she's in good shape as well from training and armor and all that. But he spent his whole life training to protect the royal family in combat. The man is a walking very Bruce Lee-like in, in shape. You ever see Bruce Lee in a jacket? He looks like a little skinny guy. And then he takes it off and it's just muscle from the eyes down. Slightly flabby forehead. I'm just kidding. That was a joke about the muscle. But no, just, he's just pure muscle. And that's how, that's how Ran is. You know, he looks like a skinny little dude. He takes it off and it's just etched. Um, so he jumps in and he's doing what he can to help when he can. Um, Kip, on the other hand, not type of person, he's been on boats, not the type to work on boats, but 
Kip does spend a decent amount of time entertaining the crew. In the evenings, people are eating, he's playing song stories, he's playing music as they're traveling. You know, you got to imagine that's got to be beneficial, right? People are working hard and they get to hear music and, you know, that, that it's good music because he has skill. They're getting to mop and clean and pull ropes and stuff while hearing some actually lively music. Probably a nice change. Some of the crewmen probably have some minor musical instrument ability and maybe they got a little harpsichord where they're doing. Uh, it's like jump in when they can. So it's definitely, you know, it's that whole thing. Beating the drum when, you're, when your boat's moving, it helps you go faster. People will work harder when they're happy and they can take their minds off it. Now, whenever the two of them are not working the ship as much as they can, Ran and Kip can be found together. They become pretty good friends very quickly. Um, and Artis and Maeve and Pedal are very happy to see that, right? Because he's always hung out with them and doesn't hang out with a lot of guys other than Sarah for Deacon. And with Sarah for Deacon, there, there was a little concern that he was going to feel out of place traveling with three girls, which is insane because Darsh was a guy hanging out with three ladies. That's just how this story has worked in every generation, by God. Um, but, yo, know, Ran is... Ran has self, there's no problem, but they're happy to see him, Kip, get, uh, get grow a friendship there. Um, and Kip has always loved stories of adventure and honor and all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine the tales and songs that um, Kip is playing, right? And, and telling the hero's journey and the lost love and the, you know, fighting the dragon. I mean, he's just going to eat that up. And then hearing just stories, too. Poetry, all that kind of, He's always been a fan of whenever bards came through, and he's just enraptured by what's, what, what Kip is singing and saying all the time. He loves that stuff. Um, what was the thing where you tune streams just into audio? What was the thing? Oh, if you're asking what that was, I was saying that um, this podcast, this story, is available on iTunes and Spotify as an audio podcast. So people who might want to hear this story, those of you, one of the people out there hearing me say this right now, uh, you can go to iTunes, Spotify. It's free. You can download the episodes and listen to them there. I normally, they come up there normally within three to five days after the episode. It takes a while before YouTube will let me do it. And then it takes a couple days to edit and get it up there. But usually it's not up there more than a, a week afterwards. Every episode before this one is currently up there. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> what happened to Shadow? That's a big spoiler. Can't ruin that one for you. Can't ruin that one for you. I'm going to give you, you have to catch up to that one. Um, so, <clears throat> so, Kip, Ran, cool, two guys hanging out, friendship, so on and so forth. On the flip side of that, Kip loves hearing stories about serenity, right? So gotta imagine he doesn't know much, as much about serenity. How did it come to be? Then you got to imagine the, the adventures of his parents, right? Of their parents. He has to have heard some of that. You're the your daughter of Queen of Mercy who did this and did that. And Artemis who did this. And Dandy and Darsh who owns all these islands. Like, oh my god, you're their kids. I need details of the story that regular people who are telling the story probably don't know. You've probably heard it firsthand. Give me all that info. I can turn it into songs and poems and stories that I can tell. Make a living off of this kind of stuff. I'm telling the stories... I could say, I heard this directly from their children. I mean, what an opportunity for him as an artist, right? To be given all of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so he loves hearing that back from Rand. Rand loves telling the stories, especially whenever possible he can bring in his, you know, talk about his dad and how his dad helped. Because he's very proud of his dad, right? 
Now for Petal, she loves the adventure of it all. This is scratching an itch. So for those of you who do not, may not know much about Kender, Kender have wanderlust. When they get into their mid to late teens, they literally get overwhelmed by the desire to travel, to get out there and see what's in the world. Um, it is not something that they standardly can, they just have to do it. Um, and then they may settle down as they get older, decide to have children or, or whatever, but they spend a good chunk of their life out just traveling the world. Uh, how Dandy met her friends. Petal being half Kender, it wasn't as bad. At least she didn't realize it was until she actually got on the road and started traveling. And she found so many things to be, she found so many things to be more exciting. Her friends like, oh, that's interesting. But to her, like, no, you don't understand how cool this is. For her, it's, it's a much bigger deal. Um, and now she has, she's, where is she sitting at? On her mom's old ship, right? You can imagine the crew are telling stories about Dandy and the others, but Dandy specifically, the crew that were still hanging out. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, remember the time she accidentally brought back the mummy's foot and it kicked so-and-so? Yeah, I mean, things like that, right? Uh, you know, remember the time they were, they were hunting vampires and, you know, they, we didn't realize one of them was on the ship. Whatever the story may be, there's things like that out there, right? Uh, and, and and Michael hits it nail on the head there as well. They'd be very interested in Petal and getting to hear um, all the information about uh, how her mom's doing as such, right? Because I'm sure they get some. And just for the record, Michael, just not I'm trying to correct, but it's P-E-T-A-L, like the petal of a flower. That's how Dandy named her. She's a dandelion, and that's one of her petals. Her only petal, to be honest with you. Just... Because I've had some somebody ask me for that clarifying the other day. I thought it'd be a good opportunity. Not totally cool. I just thought I'd say it. Petal is P-E-T-A-L because she's a, a petal of her mother's flower. I just kind of thought that would be Dandy's short for dandelion. Petal is short for petal. It's actually petal. Yes, yeah, she's a petal of the flower. Mm -hmm. The young lady who plays, who played the character of Dandy, um, dandelions were her thing before we ever played D&D. Dandelion was her little symbol. She had it in her little thing. She, she loved dandelions. It was always a big deal for her. So she brought um, dandelion. Getting to name her Kender dandelion was pretty awesome. Um, she didn't get to name her kid, though. Just throwing that back out at you guys. She didn't get to name her kid. Some of you remember that. The goal was that when it came time to play the children in the adventure, one of the ladies played Darsh and Artemis, and the other one played... Dandy and Mercy, and they were going to play each other's children. That was that was the that was the idea. So, young lady who was going to be playing Petal and Artis decided to name Artis after a friend Artemis. Named, she was named Petal. They both loved that. And then the young lady who played uh, Mercy and Dandy, they were going to get to play Darsh. And they decided Ran is who they wanted to play the child of. Because they didn't get to play Seraph. Seraph was always intended to be an NPC because Seraph's natural abilities were just going to be too strong thrown into a regular group. As they're level 1 characters, he is already the skills and abilities of level 5 to 10. I mean, just that kind of an idea. Uh, so he was always intended to be an NPC. So I can tell you this splitting up of the groups was always meant to happen. Just that group of players were going to be trying to chase him down. Which is why it exists this way in the story. Those four 
chasing after those three NPCs. Little peek behind the curtain there. So she's enjoying it all, the sights, the smells, Petals loving every second of it on the boat, with one minor exception. And that is she cannot use any magic at all. Because a wild surge on a boat could be fatal to everybody. She knows that. So even though she's having fun and playing in the back of her mind, she's having to constantly keep control over that. Because her wild magic will literally start to leak out if she's not even trained through her education to help contain that. You know? So she has to be constantly vigilant not to use magic on the ship if she can help it. Can't be that easy when there's a sea mage who she's probably talking to and hanging out to all the time about magic, and she gets to see the sea mage use spells to help the ship go. I mean, that's the one frustrating part for her. But she still gets to meet people that she's heard about. Uh, there's some crew that, of course, are new people, but she gets to meet some of the people from her mom's stories, and Lyman especially, who's the captain. Um, and overall, that brings us to Artis right? Artis is content. She finds the whole thing very calming. Just being on the ocean, the, the smoothness of it all, she'll help out where she can. But she spends a lot of her time with Lyman and Maeve planning and plotting, right? Because she's kind of plotting the course, her and Maeve. We're going east, this is where we're going. Um, and even though, you know, Lyman very quickly, like everyone else, starts to defer to her where, where where are we looking for next? What's our plan? What do we think we should do? Well, this is what we're looking to do, blah, 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 blah. Because the friends would have already probably talked about it. This is what they wanted to do. So when it's time to give the information out, artist just naturally steps up and begins to give that. And Lyman immediately starts seeing her as the leader of that group. Not his leader, per se, but you can imagine him viewing them as, these are these are people we've taken on. They're customers. I'm working for these guys. She's the one who's telling us what we need to do. And because she doesn't see herself in that way, it's much easier for other people to take her that way. And, and, and in, your real, in your own life, you've probably said, some people just are natural leaders and become a leader of a group. It's because they don't try to boss people around. They just are a leader in nature that people will start to fall behind. That. And it's, they don't feel bad about following someone because they're not being told what to do. Someone's saying, I think we should do this. You know, That's a great idea. Your leader will do that. Kind of a thing like that. So she'd been working with Lyman and such. Now, Lyman uh, very quickly becomes invaluable to them. He spent almost all of his life on the ocean and most of the past 20 years on this ship. Right? He, uh, was, he did not come onto the ship originally when Darsh had it, but when Darsh got the Morgenstern, his bigger ship, and gave the ship to Dandy, Dandy hired a crew. She specifically was hiring people that could run a ship hated undead. Lyman has that, even though I've never really talked about his background story that much. Lyman has that. He's now at a point in his life where he's past that. You know what I mean? He's moved on. He, he loves his life and so on and so forth. But he's incredibly skilled at what he does. And so he's really, really good there. Um, <clears throat> see, again, as I mentioned, the ship's in great repair. All ready in case Dandy needed it. Excellent. <clears throat> so Right now, after they leave, their next thing is they're going through elven waters, right? So 
This is a time of peace. Santrail is a part of the Southern Kingdoms. Travel through these waters while watched is pretty much open at this point. You may be a little bit pickier who pulls into their port, but traveling through the waters, if you're flying a flag or you have papers, because you can imagine that, an elven ship, warship shows up and like, let me see your papers. Okay, you can travel through here. Uh, they're going to have not a lot of problem because the Miss Dandelion has sailed these waters many times. Centrile is not overly far from Darshtopia, and in the early times of trading and such, when Darsh was the only one who could come to Santriel, he still only had a few ships at that point. And so he would have made use of what he had. So the Miss Dandelion has sailed this water many times. And as his fleet grew, the Miss Dandelion spent most of his time working around Darshtopia, helping with local stuff, taking people from island to island, things like that, helping move stuff from one island to another. You can imagine... It, it, a pretty easy lifestyle compared to the people who are way out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, so they're passing through these again. The ship would be recognized. Um, even if, if you know, a ship pulls up, they're probably not going to cause a lot of problems. They At least some of the regulars that patrol these water elves would probably at least have met Lyman several times and would recognize him as such. Um, and while they're traveling through the elven waters, they see several elven ships. None of them approach them. Again, there's no reason to. They're flying the flag of Darshtopia. They are. They have papers of Darshtopia, signed by Darsh. You know what I mean? Not signed by so-and-so. They have special papers from Darsh. They are, it's considered basically an ambassadorship. And that's how this ship would be treated. I, I'm, 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 I'm telling you this stuff because it matters maybe now and later, right? So why is it going so much detail about this? It matters. Darsh's main ship is the Chimera. That's his flagship. It's huge. There's not another ship like it on the ocean. It is currently the fastest ship on the ocean that they're aware of. Everyone knows the Chimera. But if he's going to send somebody who's important, like an ambassador, Jorn being a great example of that, Jorn is his right hand at this point, as is his son. Those are the type of people who might be on the Miss Dandelion on a mission like, oh, we're coming to the elves to talk to you. Or, or we're, we're coming here to work out trade agreements or with merchants or whatever. Um, so flying the flag and having those type of papers, uh, it, it's like showing, you know, like being an ambassador in this country, like, oh, I'm an ambassador, here's my papers. Oh, oh, we've got to handle this situation a little differently. You're on the list of special people. Um, Lyman has those papers. If you're on this ship, you're covered by that. The fact that they have a princess and the daughter of uh, Darsh on this ship is only going to add more credence to that should it need to. But they didn't have any run-ins with the elves. They got to pass through the elven waters without much issue, other than they did see a couple of elven ships. Well, they weren't close enough really to see any of the, like the docks or anything. They stayed out of that because you don't get in the middle of those things. Um, they're a little bummed out they didn't get to see more of that, but the opportunity hopefully will arise one day in the So Artis is sitting there at this point. It's a nice sunny day. Maeve's working on a boat somewhere, on the boat somewhere. Petal's talking to this mage. People are out doing their thing. Rand's working on the boat. And Petal's just kind of sitting at the edge of the... They're not Petal, I'm sorry. Artis is just sitting at the edge of the boat, just kind of watching the water go by, seeing at this point the great elven forest just in eyesight, just enough to see the trees going by. You know, and they're not little trees. It's an ancient forest. It's some big old trees. I'm right up to the edge of the water where they're at currently. Just getting to see that, and in her mind, she's imagining, you know, her parents were in there. 
mom was. So was her dad. Did he go? Yeah, he was with them at that point. So they're up in there messing with all that stuff, right? When suddenly a voice says, about that time, I'm just kidding, didn't say. When a voice says, I've never been to Corman. It startles Artis a little bit. She didn't hear him walking up, and she looks up, and it's Kip. He smiles, and he sits down next to her. Kip is very quiet when he wants to be. He's a bard. That's also a rogue. I mean, that's how bards work, if you're new here. Bards are a type of rogue. They didn't have a rogue. Filling that space, yes. So Kip's there, he says. Um, she sits down, and, and they uh, begin to talk a little bit. Now, Kip knows the whole story at this point. Hey, we're taking you on this mission to chase after these people. You knew about some of it. It's only important that you know everything. Seraph has a prophecy. There's people out to kill him. Someone's chasing Dina. Maybe trying to kill her. To maybe get to him. Because of that, they may try to kill us. You're getting involved in this situation. If you're walking into this danger, I'm a cleric of truth. I feel like you should know what you're walking into. Um, and I, off the top of my head right now, is I can't think of a thing that they would not want to tell him. You know what I mean? There's nothing that's like a trade secret or anything. They may not mention exactly what they have in their pouches. They may not say how much money they're carrying, that kind of thing. But they're going to you know, tell him what he needs to know to walk into this situation. And he's fine with it. He's like, this is, just, this is a song in the making. I never thought I was going to have a chance to maybe sing a song about me. Huh, how awesome is that? And you remember, he carries a sword. He's experienced with it. He can do some fighting. Just because you play a loot doesn't mean you can't fight either. He's just probably not going to do much against some of the more trained people, right? So they're kind of sitting there and they're talking about that. And uh, he's very well-traveled. Kip is. But a lot of that traveling was before the merge. Since the merge, um, he spent the large part of the last 20 to 22 post-merge years in the Southern Kingdoms. Uh, primarily in Paxawal and Arduel, and the small towns and villages and communities in between them all. He spent some time in Thorman. He was in Darstopia once, never got to go to Corman, but not a lot of human boards are sought after in Corman. You don't make a lot of money there. So, the whole, he likes to travel. He didn't, you know, because there was so many opportunities there, right? There's always a new town or village. These things are popping up as more and more people are coming together and more chance to learn your music and songs. Uh, Michael says, if the bards, oh, wait, Mike, uh, so versatile from what I've seen, I said to a group, most of the time they aren't played right. Michael's correct. I love bard NPCs. I don't like bard PCs just because most people play them cliche. Not everybody. Some good bards out there. Some good people who play good bards. But some people just want to make them whores who go around and screw everything. And that's just, that's not, it's not, just because you're a bard doesn't mean that's your personality. It can be a little bit, but it doesn't have to be. So he spent a lot of time. And he's like, hey, I need, you guys need to know a little bit about me if I'm going to join in here. And they probably asked some questions. He said, yeah, I have the last three or four years, he's specifically been hanging out in and around Arduel because uh, he's like, I hate to bring it up, but I kind of might have gotten on the wrong side of a man named One-Eye in Paxawal. Minor misunderstanding, but he's a little angry at me right now, so I thought it might be best to stay away from Paxawal for a little while, but 
that's okay. There's lots of other places to go. You know, One Eye is the head of the Thieves Guild in Paxawal, and still is, even though we've not mentioned him in a long time. He's still there. <laughs> he's still the head of that guild. Um, and if anything, it's more powerful than he's ever been there. Although, is he as powerful as the uh, Black Rose? Probably not. At least from what everyone says. He stays maintained to Paxwell. He's getting around. So, getting a little, little bit about that and what's going on. <clears throat> they're kind of talking. To, she, her, her and, and Kip start talking a little bit about where they're going. Like, yeah, we're going to go here. We're going to ask about Seraph, so on and so forth. And there's a bit of a concern that Artis has. She's like, what if something happens and we pass him? Like, what if he's not going straight to where we're going and suddenly we're ahead of him and we can't find him anywhere because technically he's behind us? Something has been weighing on her mind and she's talked about it with the friends in, in, in a little bit. Um, and Kip was like, I, I know you mentioned that. And I goes, I've been thinking on that. And I know you want to look for Seraph and such, but maybe you should try to take a slightly different approach. And Artis is like, why? He goes, why don't you search for Dina? I mean, you kind of are, but your focus has really been where's Seraph and where's Deacon and where's Mugen? But if you focus more, where's Dina? I mean, from what you've told me about this Seraph guy, he's going to get there eventually. If you get there first, sweet. He'll catch up and he'll probably be happy you're there taking care of her because he's worried about her. She's like, that's, you know, we were definitely searching for her, but maybe focusing that way is not a bad idea. You know, maybe, you know, asking about Seraph and them, but, you know, still keeping the main focus on what do we know about Dina. Dina's harder to find. Looks like a regular person. She's a pretty girl, but she's a girl in the crowd, right? And they don't even know if she looks the same. She's trying to hide. Just shave her head and glued a fake beard on her head. I don't know what's going on there. But maybe that's where their focus should be. And... They chat a little bit about that as they're traveling along. Um, so they travel on and they make it to the Elven waters. Um, uneventfully. And continue on to Corman. And they make it to Corman. And Lyman knows this area well. And they make their way through the cliffs with ease. Um, Still, a very large ship like the Chimera could not get through there. Merchant vessels can, but they can't use huge merchant vessels, which the dwarves are fine with because their ships are historically a bit smaller because so are they. Their ships fit in and under there perfectly fine. The only thing that the dwarves have been concerned with is there is one ship that fits through there perfectly fine that they would prefer not show up. Because on occasion, the cyclone has swung by this area. And we've talked about this before. There's almost nothing more frightening in the world than a ship of Kender to pull up into your port. Because it's the Kender ship. The cyclone is. Remember, some of you may remember them from uh, their pop-up back in Darstopia back in. Cyclone is still kicking around in these waters, adventuring and exploring, and benefiting even Corman on occasion, because they have a habit of traveling further than anyone else is. So they're coming back with some information about what's really far to the east, what's really far to the west. Nobody goes really, really far to the west, because eventually you start running into water where you have to worry about uh, Oromon, and everybody stays away from Oromon. <clears throat> 
So they, they arrive there and they make their way in. Um, again, it's not a huge, takes maybe 30 minutes to an hour to make your way through the cracks to get to the actual docks, which is really not that much considering how much time they've traveled. They've already been traveling a couple of weeks at this point. Elven waters are big. I've stressed that. Santriel land-wise is bigger than any other kingdom in the southern kingdom. It's huge. And Mercy and friends only saw a very small piece of that when they were inside of there. It is massive, and they'd be as such, so are their shores. Keep people away from them, so they claim a lot of water around that, right? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. They finally make it in and they land. <laughs> make birth, whatever you want to say. They park. <laughs> Pop in. Um, and, uh, when they, you know, they, they land in, they find a place, immediately someone's going to come up in the dock. Lyman's going to go down there. He's going to pay, because there's always a fee to pay. Say why they're there. We're here to buy goods because we're traveling east. Dwarves love to hear that. Oh, you're not here to sell. You're here to straight up buy and then leave. But leave money here from buying? We love you. Come on in. What can we get for you? That's perfect, right? This is all profit for us. Hell yeah, come in and park. Want to know more about Oromon? Sounds fun. Oh, Oromon is a big deal. You will find about Oromon. It's A-U-R A-U-R-A-M-A-N. Oromon. So it's A-R at the beginning. Oromon. The spelling's very weird. If you haven't had a chance, some of those things, I think, are listed on my website. This is for everybody listening today, tomorrow, or on the, on the, uh, iTunes or Spotify. If you go to OnlyDraven.com, there's a tab at the top that says Characters. If you click on that, I have minis painted of a lot of characters, all the main characters, and here in the next couple days, I'm putting up some of the new duos that I've been uh, posting on the Merge Worlds Instagram uh, of multiple characters, because I've just learned some things about the duos I did not know, and I can do way more with posing than I could. So uh, we're going to see some of those popping up on the website. If you're not sure, you'd like to see what a character looks like, Lyman's on there. You can go there and check out Lyman. Everybody's on there. <clears throat> so they get there, they park, so on and so forth. Um, very quickly, hearing who's on the boat, messages sent, Right? All my, Ashley says, all my spellings are weird. Surprise, there's not an apostrophe. Hey, don't make fun of my apostrophes. Everybody makes fun of my apostrophes. I like apostrophes in words. Dark Sun, the D&D world, had a lot of apostrophes, and it, it, I liked it. But, yes. They send a message off. So while they're kind of hanging out looking around, it's not long before a couple of dwarves show up from the temple. There is a small temple in this port city. Dwarves, religious group of people. Always a temple pretty much to Thorin, god of the mountain, the dwarven god. The main temple still way on back down in the inside Koromon. There's another smaller one on the outer Koromon, which is the little city outside the gates. <clears throat> and even in this port city, there's going to be a, a small temple there. So the head of the small temple himself <clears throat> and a, a younger... Uh, dwarf, who's barely 150, comes up there to meet them. Um, and, of course, they're very honored by that. They're like, wow, he, okay, you are princess of serenity. Big deal. We talked about that. She's going to say that. You are a princess of one of our biggest trading partners. This is Maeve, daughter of your other biggest trading partner. And friends. 
They're like, we're so excited to see you. Not as much the Kender, but still, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome to have you. Hey, please, if you would, how long will you be staying? Oh, we're just going to stay like maybe one day, head out tomorrow. We're going to ask around. Here's why we're here. And they're going to explain we're looking for a guy who looks kind of like a muscular elf, but has really long white hair. We have a guy with black hair, who's deacon, and then a gully dwarf with a mohawk covered in tattoos. And people are like, ah, no, no, they've not come through here. Not, no, they would stand out like a sore thumb. Like, we kind of expected that. But, you know, we wanted to ask. We still need to stop for supplies. <clears throat> then they start asking about Dina. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they're like, eh, that one's harder. Humans come through here quite often at this point. Um, and while no one like that stands out, I can't say that she hasn't. Uh, and the dwarf, uh, head dwarf here, he's like, you know, I, I don't know for sure. I'll send some messengers out to the docks asking uh, around to the guys, like I said, the guys who take the money when you park and all that kind of stuff. The parking attendant, that's not what they're called. I'm just saying. I'll send out so you guys don't have to search. We'll send word out up and down the docks asking any of the few small inns that occasionally humans and such stay at. See if anybody's seen anybody that matches her or her uncle or her grandfather's uh, the way they look. Because remember, they've all met them a little bit. And so they're like, oh, cool. Excellent. Well, we appreciate that. And the head cleric's like, it would be an honor if Instead of you guys getting an inn, you would stay with us at the temple. We have plenty of room. Meals and everything will be taken. This is for all five of you. Meals, be our guest. It would be an honor to have you as our guest of honor for dinner tonight. We have prayer tonight. <clears throat> It'd be awesome if you would attend that. And, uh, you know, it's all free. <clears throat> and they, would, they accept immediately, right? Because, A, you don't want to make your allies angry by, you know, saying no. But this is an awesome opportunity. Uh, for Maeve and Artis, uh, particularly, right? Being clear, here's a chance for them to attend another church. They've never got to do... Artis has never got to do that. Maeve has been to the Minotaur, so she knows how that one works. But the chance to see prayers to Thorin, who's a neutral god, but still swings a bit more on the good way, um, that's pretty awesome. Right? That, that's an opportunity to see another culture giving praise to the gods, right? An ally and how they do that. This is a great example. So um, they're like, yes, we would love to do that. So they all go and they all get rooms there. The five of them, right? Including Kip. Kip's part of the party now. Um, and so they go in there and, and sure enough, there's a, a big feast, you know, later that evening. They have a chance to talk with a lot of the dwarves. Um, everybody has things, you know, dwarves, again, being very high in honor. Ran really likes talking to them. He gets to talk to some of the guards, and he's talk, chatting more with, like, the Templars and such, who are, again, servants protecting something, which is how he views his life path. I'm going to protect the Holy Family, and I'm going to, or the Royal Family. I'm going to protect Serenity. This is what I'm going to do in my life. What do you do? You protect the temple. Let's talk about that. Okay, excellent. Tell me how this works. Blah, blah, blah. How do you feel in that role? He's, he's going into all of the, the deep thoughts on him. He's not a very surface guy. He's all the, he wants to know the philosophy behind what, what made you decide to want to do this, so on and so forth. Uh, went to stream on Twitch after learn the scene that inspired the mini I thought of, and he mentioned duos. I was, ah, yes, I believe I did. <laughs> yeah, all the minis are based off of Merge Pools. There's a few that are based off the live D&D group I do with my wife, but that's, that's not on the... the so, they're getting to enjoy 
all of this type of stuff. Um, and Petal just loves everything. For her, it's all an adventure, right? Kip gets to talk to some Dwarven bards. Sweet. He's never been to Corman before. It's one of the places he's never been. He already said that. Excellent. He gets to talk to them. So everybody gets to learn something, gets to take in some experience from this, from this section of the adventure. After the meal, it's a large prayer going on. It'll be a big a sermon and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, everybody goes and attends this. Um, Kip kind of sits to the back a bit, and Ran ends up sitting with him, and the girls are right up front, of course. Two clerics and a, and, and a mage who's just as interested in this stuff because clerical magic, so on and so forth. The girls are really, the guys are kind of sitting in the back. <clears throat> and it goes on for a while. You can imagine most sermons do. And it goes on for a while. And after a little bit, Kip gets up and walks out. And Rand sits there a moment and decides to follow him. <clears throat> and so he follows him out and he follows there's a, like some walkways. They've been here for a couple hours now, so he knows a little bit of the layout. And he finds out that Kip is standing out on a balcony, right? Because they're up in the temple. The temple's built into one of the cliff sides. The balcony's literally looking down over the port, and you can see both the entrance and exit cracks, if you will. One going that way, one going that way. Ships circling through. He's just kind of leaning up on the thing. <clears throat> Rand comes over and leans up against it next to him, and they start chatting a little bit. And uh, Kip kind of smiles and says, it's impressive, isn't it? Ran, doesn't talk a lot. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, Kip, Kip you know, kind of turns, talk to him. He's like, <clears throat> very interesting stuff. I love stories as much as the next person. But it's a little stuffy in there for me. I've always felt a little bit more comfortable in the open air or in the forest, you know. I guess you could say it's one of the gifts my elven father gave me. And, you know, he's never really talked much about his, his early life. Nobody wants to prod on that. Sadly, half-elves very often are not the product of a positive experience. But Rand is surprised to hear this. He says, really? Your father was elf? Yes, he goes, yeah, I'll be honest, the majority of the not all of the half-elves I've ever had the pleasure to meet or, or know about, usually it's an elven mother and a human father. And Kip agrees. He said, yeah, that's usually the most common. Uh, it's quite common for an elven female to end up with a, with a, with a, a male human. But uh, my situation was a little different. My mother goes, I goes, goes, I tell you this in honesty. My, my mother worked in a brothel. Small human settlement in what was lands owned by elves. Elven Lord took a shine to her one day, and she, thinking this might be her opportunity to get out of poverty, really played that up to the point that uh, she got pregnant with me. And what she thought was her golden ticket out of the brothel ended up only getting her exiled. She would not claim me of had legitimate children, the lord of those lands. So uh, we were pretty much exiled out when no longer claimed. Moved on to new places, moved into a larger human city many, many miles away, and that's where I grew up. I don't even remember anything about the other town. I was too young for all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it begins to say, you know, things like my childhood were not, was not that good. 
mother blamed him for getting kicked out of what was a relatively easy situation at that point into what was harder. Um, but she might have abandoned him altogether had not at a young age uh, he began showing signs of a very good ability to sing. And he had a very beautiful voice. So she used him in that way. You know, a lot of times used him at brothels where he'd be providing music to the common room or would put him, you know, traveling. He would sing for their, for their room or for their food or for their dinner or whatever. Um, and through all those, you know, through the years of doing that, <clears throat> he uh, eventually managed to stash away enough little coins himself that one day he was able to run away. Yeah, he ran away and has not turned around and looked back once. Life got immediately better once my feet were on the road and my destiny was my own. And uh, he goes, long time then. He goes, yeah. He, and ran ran with that thing. Just, let me ask, how old are you? And Kip, Kip says, I'm 112, which is still pretty young. And Rand's kind of surprised by this because you know half cells can live longer, um, and he looks like he's a little older than them, you know, early to mid twenties kind of thing. But that's about right for half. Kind of shocked by that. Like, wow, I I didn't realize you were quite that old. Wow, we must seem like just babies to you, <laughs> like you're hanging out with children, you know. And Kip smiles. He's like, not at all. He's like, he goes, I spent most of my life in human settlements. Uh, I've lived amongst humans. I, I, I understand that. I mean, humans mature way faster than elves. So, you know, I've lived amongst humans for you know, the very vast, vast majority of my life. Sure as heck wasn't swinging into Santriel because they're still not fans of half. So, yeah, I mean, I spent most of my life hanging out with humans. So, like, fine. He goes, besides... He goes, you're a grown man. I can look at you. You're in great shape. You kick ass and you carry weapons. Like, clearly I've seen... Has he seen him fight? He hasn't seen him fight. He goes, clearly you carry yourself like you fight. Well, he's assuming because he hasn't seen him fight yet. He goes, so, you know, absolutely no concern there. You guys aren't kids. You're just my friend. And uh, Rand gets a little red with embarrassment. You know, compliments. He doesn't get a lot of compliments. That's not kind of how Rand rolls. He gets some compliments and he gets a little red with embarrassment. Kip can't help but smile seeing he's embarrassed. Puts his hand on his shoulder. He's like, we better get back in there. Before somebody realizes we've snuck out and takes offense. Rand laughs and they both agree and they both make their way back in uh, to continue listening to the several hour long prayer. So, what? No. <laughs> Computer, out of nowhere, do you want to restart now? No, not in the middle of a stream. <laughs> so, um, Time at Corman for all of them was a wonderful experience. They all got to see and eat cool dwarven food they never never got to experience, hear dwarven music. Kip got to perform for the dwarves who were very, very uh, accepting of the music and really enjoyed it as well, so he made some tips, right? Uh, and he uh, just overall was a really cool experience for everybody. Nothing bad happened there at all. Um, but again, unfortunately, uh, the... Head cleric has to be like, uh, we've sent everything out. No one's seen anyone that matches the description of the young lady and her family that you're looking for. Um, you know, there's, there's, just, there's just nothing that we can find that would show that she's come through here. He says, but that's not completely unusual. 
to not far to the east, just another, you know, several days travel past our area. There are some other human settlements. Someone could have gone right past us, especially if they're not familiar with how to get in here. They may have just skipped us over. And they're like, ah, okay. they're like, well, that makes sense. We, we thought it was probably a small chance for fear of how much they'd stand out, but it didn't hurt to ask. So the dwarf does, though, say, you know, works out with artists and friends. Say, hey, what we'll do is we'll keep an eye out. You know, now that we know you're looking for these people and you're our ally, our friend, our friend, we'll keep an eye out. Anybody who matches any of those descriptions, we'll keep an eye out and let them know you came through. And they're like, that's a good idea. Just make sure it's them. Don't give it to other people. You know, be very careful about that. And then the artist takes some time and to write out a letter and says, yes, if they come by, if you would give this to Sarah for Deacon, we'd appreciate that. Um, you know, a little note saying, hey, we've somehow got ahead of you. Still looking for you, still searching for Dina. If you're behind us, we're in the Miss Dandelion, which I'm sure they would have heard of the ship before. We've got a crew. We're heading that direction. Hopefully you can catch up. We'll keep looking for you and Dina. So something that's going to help cover if they do get ahead or behind them or not. But, finally time comes to leave. They've had the enjoyment of getting to hang out in Corman. Um, it's been a wonderful experience. They probably did a little souvenir shopping, because while they're on an adventure, other than the little fight with the goblins, they really haven't had to do much in the way of combat. So this is an exciting, fun adventure. They even got to save those ladies from the goblins. They haven't really had to get hands really dirty. So their mood is already a bit more lighthearted. Seraph, Deacon, and Mugens, with their way of having to go through this. They're on a pirate ship, basically, and this they're dealing with. But finally, the ship pushes off, and they continue to head east. So... Their next destination is a city. It's actually a good, probably another week, couple weeks to get there. It's a good distance. And it's a city called River Blossom. Now, this is the furthest east that Darsh has ever traded with. River Blossom was the same city that Darsh and friends went to when they were looking for a dragon turtle. You'll remember. And there you had to get in a fight with a certain were creature water. So they've been to River's Breath. It's the furthest east that Darsh trades, even though he may have a knowledge of a little bit more than that. So this is kind of the furthest that they have really good information on what's there. Past that is very much unknown land to these. Now, but to this point, they had some maps provided by their parents and Darsh and so on and so forth. After that, basic ideas. Remember River's Breath was basically on a corner of a huge river hitting the southern sea, or the central sea, which is where they are now. And so it be, was a small trade port that people would come up the river, but the merge made the river get larger, and the way it worked out, it became a major port city and grew quite a bit itself. And as the water it opened up all the new lands north of that, because of merged worlds, Ships seeking, following the way the water goes. The, let me phrase The opposite way the water goes. Heads towards River's Breath. Now, it's important to remember, this isn't too much of a spoiler for people who haven't seen it. Important to remember that water goes backwards 
on merged roads. Traditionally, water very often flows to the sea, right? Fresh water goes, hits salt water. That's how it is in most of our worlds, what you expect to see. The rivers flow to the ocean. But in merged worlds, the central sea is the primary source of water for merged worlds. And in the center of that is a really big hole that goes to the bottom of the planet. And water comes up there, because Merged Worlds is flat. Water falls off the ends, goes down, comes up through the center. It's shaped like a chalice, and it's very porous. And as it makes its way up, it comes up to the Central Sea, and the water flows outward and flows up rivers. And it also, as it's coming up, breaks off into that porous, very sponge-like thing and comes up to rivers and lakes and stuff all over Merged Worlds. But everything flows from the center outward, falls off the edge of the planet, comes back up through the chalice. Or if nothing else, an apple core where the bigger part's on the top, if you're trying to think of what this looks like. Um, so, when they're going upriver, <laughs> they're literally going downriver, because the river's going away from them, right? So it's faster for them if somebody wants to go that way, but to get to River's Blossom, they have to come upstream, which is not something you would have normally had to deal with on the worlds even pre-merge. But is the one thing that has affected even countries that come, or pieces of land that come from Merge World, water sources have changed. It just has to, based on the way the plane works. Um... So they're heading to Rivers Blossom. Rivers Blossom, as they know, uh, from what they've heard from Lyman, has grown very much so over the last 15 to 20 years as well, become a pretty good-sized port city. They're going to pass a bunch of smaller communities, but realizing it's, you know, they're kind of stuck here. Do we stop at every little town and community and ask, have you seen these people? Or do we go to the larger places where people might more likely see it? Um is the is is the 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 frustrating part uh let's see here so an interesting question that i never considered before michael asks then is all the water in merge worlds fresh water and no salt water that is incorrect no it is not so basically <laughs> the way that the central sea works is it is salt water and when it hits land it converts to fresh water Talked about this once a very long time ago. It converts literally to fresh water. It's, again, like a merged world's line. The water flows and changes. And once it gets to the outer edges of merged worlds, onto what becomes the ocean or that surrounds all the landmass of merged worlds, it reconverts back to salt water. It picks up salt as it moves on, is the concept. The further it gets to the outer edges, it becomes worse and worse and worse. And then as it is coming back up through the core into what is known as the source, some of you guys remember this term, a large amount of the salt is stripped away. It's picked up by the planet itself um, and feeds the porousness and the course of, of, of what is the planet. This was my original design. Uh, it's probably... One of the weaker points of Merge Worlds, because, again, I designed that part of it when I was, like, 11. Um, but that was always the, the concept, that once the water leaves the Central Sea, it becomes fresh water uh, with that hard Merge World line. Because, uh, again, re remember that where they 
are the southern kingdoms, they thought that that ocean, that water, was the bottom, was the southern part of the world. They thought they were at the biggest because it was just all water. There's no land as far as you could feasibly go. And no one had traveled all the way to the source, the big hole in the middle, the size of a good-sized city um, with a flying thing above it. We, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so they thought that was the south. Um, where it turned out that is actually the center of the world, and the world is vastly larger than anyone ever considered. Um, but that's why it's it's now known as the Central Sea, once they learned that. But it was the Southern Sea, and they were the Southern Kingdoms. They kept the name Southern Kingdoms, even though technically they're on the north side of the Central Sea. Very funny the way that works. The salt doesn't move with the water, maybe. Perhaps. Like, it's a hard line, and it stops. Good question, though. Haven't anybody asked about that in a long time. I was asked when we played this, when the world was going on, I was playing these adventures, I did get that question. No one's asked that in a long time. All right. I will move on. So as they're traveling towards this big port, they've heard of it. They've heard of the story. They knew their parents had been there once before searching for a dragon turtle. And as they're moving on, as they're going through more of this, Corman hit home. Something I touched on a little bit ago. Corman really reminded them that they are walking in their parents' footsteps. You can imagine, again, they would have heard more tales. Ah, yes, your mother and your father and their friend, your mother and somebody you don't know. These people saved this kingdom. Let me tell you the tale as we know it of how Corman was saved by your parents. Your parents, your small group of parents went in and did what this nation itself could not do and returned us back to our lands that we had been exiled from for hundreds of years. That's a lot to hear your parents did. Your parents saved our world and their world and their world and the whole world. Or you were even born. You know, that's a lot to live up to. And it's exciting, but that's the first time they actually felt like it was a weight on them. If you can understand what I'm saying. It's like, wow, how could we ever begin to measure up to our parents? And do we try? Right? I show up and people have heard of my parents. What are they going to expect out of me? The same thing? What if I'm not that good? What if I can't do what my parents? We are not my parents. They helped us, they trained us, they prepped us, but what if I'm just not able to do what my mom did or my dad did? And so there gets to be that first little chink in the armor, that little, mm, little one little ring breaks. A little bit of self-doubt starts to slide in, and all of them, even Petal, has to stop and think about that a little bit. Bran always has a little bit of that self-doubt, so for him, that's easy. He always is worried he's not going to be good enough. That's one of his main factors of his life. But they know that they have very large shoes to fill. And it's something that begins to weigh on them a little bit. So as I mentioned, it takes a couple weeks time to finally make it to River Blossom. And again, it's grown much. At this point, it actually has some... Um, like I said, the, 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 the river that flows into the Central Sea is big, but not like too big to see across. But like five or six ships could go side by side at the river's mouth. So 
they now have some buildings and stuff across from that. So now the city itself is on both sides of that river with the southern sea beneath them. And it's picked up. There's more inns. Obviously, their port's bigger. It's become a very, very big place. So, much as they had before, they make their way in, up the docks, find a place they can park. I hate using the word park. I can't think of the name of it. Does it make birth? I can't remember. <laughs> Technical name for parking. <laughs> they pull up, and of course, uh, again, Lyman does the same thing. Paying for whatever we have to stay. We're looking for goods. We're moving east. And we're looking for information of what's east. This is the first time they can ask that. We're heading east. Oh, where are you going? We don't know. But we're going that way. Uh, what's that way? And Lyman's like, I'll reach out, see what I can find out for maps and charts. What do people have in this area? I'll find out what's ahead of us. You go into the city and see if you can find any signs of the people we're looking for. Because that's their quest. Even Lyman's going to be like, hope you find them. Then we can go home. I don't have to keep going east. Like, I don't mind doing it, but, you know, this is still work. If we can, if I can get home with everybody, and we get this Dina girl, and we get this Seraph guy, and I get everybody home, that's a job well done. That's what I'm here for. So go out there and see if you can find them. I'll take care of this side of the business. Like, we appreciate that. Thank you. So they decide they're going to go in, going to get an inn for the night, spend the night in there, and they're going to, you know, kind of chat around and see what they can uh, they don't have to search the docks much because Lyman and some of the crew are on that. They know what they're looking for. They're asking. They're being kind of subtle. Um, I hate to consider reminding the more of the ship. Yes. This is an ongoing campaign. Technically, yes. What I'm telling now is all new material that I'm writing. Uh, I'm a little ahead of this, of course. But uh, yes, right now we're. this was meant to be played, but that group fell apart. So now I'm just telling the story as it was meant to be played. Um, and playing some other adventures on Merged Worlds in different areas. Um, I, I have a live group on Thursdays, my wife and a couple of my friends, and they're in a different section of Merged Worlds doing their quests and stuff. Um, with occasionally the familiar face popping up. And my goal is to be able to open up Merged Worlds more as a campaign setting uh, with maps and things like that, that people have the opportunity to download if you wanted to play in Merged World. Much like the other worlds exist in D&D, um, I'm trying to slowly put together maps and uh, specifics. Uh, I've got my own Pantheon of Gods. I've got I've been I've been doing this like I said 30 plus years, but yes, it is still current running stuff uh, with the intention of playing more in the future, yes. So they go and they find themselves <clears throat> an inn. <clears throat> now they're not advertising, at this point, Artis's royal background. He's still a cleric of truth, and Maeve is still a paladin of truth, and a really big minotaur. They're already going to stand out, but there's no reason to throw out the term, hey, I'm a princess too. So they all start getting there, and they find an inn that's okay. They don't go to the richest one. They go to an okay one. Because... Odds are, the people they're searching after aren't going to be staying in the fanciest of places. And so they go and they get themselves a nice inn. They get a couple rooms like they normally do. One for the girls, one for the guys. And then they go out and they start searching and they start asking. They hit the place you expect. Other inns, bars, um, you know, hitting general goods stores. Places where they, someone may have come in and 
bought stuff for a journey, for a voyage or a journey. Uh, you know, what if they say, oh yeah, the guy, we saw a guy who looks like that guy with the white hair. He bought horses and went that way. That's exactly what they, oh, we, horses? Now we need horses. You know, they need to know these things. And so they start asking in all the places they can think of, anybody come here to get weapons fixed, armor fixed. They try to hit places, but this is a big city. There's no way they're going to be able to hit it all in a day. But they try to hit the ones, the places that if they were them, this is where I would go. That's that's kind of their mentality, and it's very off. And they're still searching for Dina, but at the same time, worried that they don't want to give a fact away that they're chasing Dina. That's a hard one for them. Because now they're like, we need to focus a bit on finding Dina, but she's being chased by people. Last thing we want is to let other people know she came through here. So they're kind of stuck in the middle there. I love that you continue the story even after the group fell apart. I have been writing this story so long. I know where technically this story ends. And I plan on just continue writing it as long as I can. But I know where this campaign arc is supposed to go. All of this built up for... is Everything I've done was to get onto the storyline we're doing now. Because I know where it ends. And I've been trying to get there for 30 years. <laughs> With breaks here and there in between, I will be first to admit. But yes. <laughs> so they're searching and they spend majority of the day searching the city without any luck. No signs of any of them. A little disappointing. They decide they're going to go back to the inn, get a bite to eat, eat a meal there. <clears throat> And then get some sleep and try again the next morning. Right? Maeve and Petal break off from the group. We're going to swing back by the ship real quick. Let Lyman know what inn we're staying at and what we're doing. We'll want to pick up a couple things off the ship. Um, Petal wants to get some of her additional magic stuff because they're going to leave a magical sign here. Remember how she how uh, Deacon was leaving one for her? She left one in Corman, and she's leaving one here that only Deacon or a very powerful wild mage would be able to find. A very powerful wild mage won't know the, the language because it was written by Deacon, but in time they might find a way to break it. You know, It's one of those things. It's in code, if you will. And so she wants to get herself to do that. Uh, Kip, Ran, and Artis decide to go back to the inn, and they'll prep food and such. You, they'll be here in about 30 minutes. We'll go up to the room. I'm going to refresh a little bit. And then we'll start ordering some food. We can eat and talk about it when we get there. Queen um, of the Sea says, you've been doing this since I was a toddler. Well, that hurts a lot. I'd be ashamed of your storytelling skills if you didn't know where it ended. <laughs> yeah. I knew the ending when I, when I started the beginning. So, I had to change the middle a lot to get it to where I wanted it to go based on things that changed. But originally, the ending was going to happen, but the storyline was based on the Firemoon Brothers. It was that group ending that had me rewrite the middle. Not even the middle, close after the beginning, really. Because the Firemoon stuff, while it was like one episode of this, the very first episode, you understand, that was like two years of us playing D&D. Two years of playing. I already had Merge Worlds designed before that. That was where I was playing that group into it. Merge Worlds existed even before the Brothers. Not Merge Worlds, but the pre-world. Keep writing, keep listening? Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I do. 
So Artis gets back. Kip and Ran, they're going to go order food, whatever. Artis goes back to her room. And she's in there and changed, changed her clothes off, whatever. And she gets into something more casual to go hanging out, eat dinner and such. And she's almost ready to leave. When about that time, there was a knock on the door. Those of you that are new here, about that time should be one of the most scariest things to hear a dungeon master say. About that time. Artist, without thinking anything, assumes that it's Peddler Maeve and walks to the door and opens it and immediately surprised by who is standing there. All right, guys, see you next week. I'm just kidding. I'm not stopping yet. <laughs> just playing. Uh, you want to watch the whole series? Oh, well, Joshua, I, I'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you. If you would like to check it out, I appreciate it. I'm always trying to grow the audience. I just want to share my story, right? <laughs> um, uh, Michael says, uh, yes, most definitely. We keep listening. Still hoping someday you'll do an online group. I'll tell you what, I'm playtesting that now. My live group, because of our schedule change, uh, this last time we played was live over uh, Skype. So I am playtesting that to be able to maybe do some, if nothing else, short adventures with different groups on Merge World to flesh it out more uh, with community. Uh, I'm not right at it yet. It's something I'm planning for a while. I'm going to tell you all, you got to play second edition. <laughs> it's going to be second edition. Uh, but I've, I'm finished making my own character sheets now, so you'll have those. I'm building the assets to be able to do that. I want to be able to provide you guys everything you'll need so we can do that. That's what I'm working on. Um, but yes. I'm thinking about rewriting Emerged World's Player's Handbook. I haven't told anybody about that. But I'm seeing if it's possible. Anyways. Um, so yes. Sorry. Off on a tangent there. So we're going to knock on the door and there's a young man standing there. And Artist is surprised and immediately suspicious. Because standing there is Quintius. Now you'll remember a little while back, Quintius was the young man she ran into back in Serenity. Quintius was the young man who was a friend of hers when they were a little real small and then left and then they moved back. And it just happened to arrive right before all this kind of went into effect. And just through happenstance, her needing someone to talk to, old friend happened to arrive. He was part of the reason that, you know, chatting it out with her that helped her decide going after Seraph and his friends was the right thing to do. Young man named Quintius, right now, for all intents and purposes, should be several, probably hundreds, if not a thousand, miles away. 
Here he is standing at the door in a town the furthest that anybody they know knows exists. Hello, artists. I need to speak with you. Artis is not one to play around. Have you been following me? Yes. In, in kind of. Yes. But it's imperative that we speak. Per preferably in private. I have information you're going to want about Seraph. Artis doesn't have her weapon on her. In her hands, it's behind her, unlike the bed. Does not mean she's not capable. And this young guy isn't overly muscular. No, he's average. He's not like a big hulking dude, just an average guy. If anything, maybe a little on the thinner side, to be honest. And her first instinct is, physically I look like I could take him. But in the world that we live in, is he an assassin? Is he a mage? What is standing, you know, who, what is he exactly? Physically, I might be able to take you. Will I get that opportunity? But at the same time, he says he has information about Seraph. He looks kind of around the halls and he's like, we must hurry. Time is short. Have something you need to hear. Artist thinks about it for just a second. She steps back and lets him in the room. Closes the door behind him. He goes and kind of stands over by the window. Gives her plenty of room. He's not trying to crowd her. And she casually goes over and stands next to the bed. Reach. Weapon. I know that this is a surprise. And you did not expect to see me here. Please. Understand. I'm not here to cause problems. But, we're about to make a large mistake. I have to keep that from happening. And what mistake is that? And what is it you know of Seraph? She knows you know Seraph's name. She talked to him about it. Told a whole bunch of the story. Caught him up on the whole story of Dina. How is it that you have information about Seraph? And how is it that you got here? And immediately in the back of her head, that's who I saw. That's the guy I saw in RUL. Just familiar enough to re recognize him a bit, but far enough away to really realize who he was. Instantly. Instantly knows who that was. How is it you're here? We had a boat sitting waiting for us. No, you have a lot of questions. I can't answer all of them right now. But I can tell you this. Seraph, as we speak, is on a ship headed Sharp Tooth Harbor, a very, very dangerous It's very possible. You're about to find that out on your own. 
You can't go after them. How do you know this, first of all? And since the whole reason we're out here is to go after them, why don't you think we would? Fact, I'm not sure I believe any, and there's another knock at the door. He steps over to the door, opens it. It's Ran. He steps in. Not trying to block him getting in. Hey, artist, um, Maeve and Peddler here. You're going to go downstairs and eat. You, you going to come with us? He's like, looks at Grindius, looks at him. Yeah, I'll, I'll be down in a couple of minutes. Like, all right. And not, not to pry, but. Who are you talking to? An artist's face gets kind of serious and goes, Just myself, it seems. I'll be down there in just a few minutes. And it's like, okay. Close the door and leaves. She turns, picks up her weapon, and immediately starts walking towards Quintius. Quintius holds up his hands, and she finds that she can't keep. Like, artists, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to harm you or your friends in any way. In fact, I'm here to help. Please put the weapon down. Only Artist finds that she can put the weapon down if she wants to. If she tries to raise it to move forward, she's being kept from doing so. Like something's pushing against her. Puts her weapon down. Her hand's still in her hand. It's still in her hand, but she puts it down. She's not threatening. But she is holding her holy symbol in her other hand. What are you? Obviously, Rand didn't see him. Now, in this moment, some could say artists made a mistake. Why didn't she alert Ran? Why didn't she say something? In Artis's mind, if he's right and he knows about Seraph, I need to know what that information is. Maybe even more in danger. I don't know if I want to bring my other friends into this, potentially putting him in danger, or losing the opportunity to find out about Seraph. In her mind, slightly inexperienced, I still got control of this situation. Says back, he goes, What or who are you? I told you the truth. My name is Quintius. What I am, that's different. It's not time for you to know that. What I'm telling you about Seraph is true. He is heading to Sharptooth Heart. Distance from here. Could you get there in your ship? Yes. But you cannot go. Instead, you need to go upriver. You need to travel far north. So you get to a land of Caradon. That's when you need to leave. Artist is like, I'm, I'm completely honest with you. I don't trust you at all. Why would I do these things? 
when the world makes you think that I'm just going to let you pop in here, be invisible to my friend, and I'm just going to abandon our what we're here to do to go to some place I've never heard of. No. Appreciate your trying to help. I thank you for telling us where Seraph is going, but I can't accept it. Face gets very serious. It's not threatening in any way, but very serious. If you go after Seraph, friends, everyone you know in Serenity will die. Horribly so. By my hand, I'm not threatening them. I have to understand that there's something in the North growing in power. Peace has entered into the game. And if you don't go up there and deal with it now, it will be far too powerful for you to deal with in the future. Artist gets confused. What game are you talking about? There are forces beyond your comprehension play right now. You are part of a much bigger picture. And your parents knew that. That's why they let you go. But if you do the wrong thing, the path might change. And then, when everyone else you care about will die. Believe you. Straight up smiles. I don't. You want me up there, me and my friends, for some reason. First of all, how would I explain to them that we're going up there? Not going to lie to them. Be guaranteed I'm going to tell them everything about you when we have this conversation. I have nothing from my And something evil in the Norse? I don't want to participate. There's also evil searching after. If having to choose between that, maybe danger in the north and guaranteeing danger after my friends, I'm going to go take care of it. Seems selfish, but it's the right thing to do. And I'd abandon them. Quintius, eyes narrow a little bit. You must understand the truth is important to me, just as important as it is to and while I may not have been forthcoming with everything the first times we know that I never lied, or will I ever, will only share with you the truth. No more dangerous. Or danger you put your But I will respect your decision. How much of the truth do you want? Artist thinks about this for a minute. Artist isn't an idiot. Artist knows how important truth is, but already talked about this a little bit today. Sometimes keeping the and keep people alive and safe. Hey, Lord. So she has to make a decision. She goes, I want to know what you are. Want to know who and what you are. I'm not going to even begin to entertain anything else. Well, I know who or what you are. Says, 
Okay, then. We did play together as many, many years ago. Although no one else saw me but you. And then as you began to grow, cognitive of your surroundings, it was I who nudged you, led you, finding the path you're on now, will of the gods, path of a clear. Spoke to you of truth, spoke to you of heroism and helping those in who I who showed you that door walked in your own. And once you did, it's time for me to step away. Let you become the person you're going to be. And you have. Not only that, you're the first person very, very long time that I'm willing to help. That is why you have to listen to me. Because you knew that it was important when you picked me up and put me inside of your path. Artist's mind begins to swirl. Before I picked you up, it Immediately, her mind remembers that pull, that strange feeling she had in the back of her mother's treasure room. Saw that blanket over something. Pulled it off and found the scepter. Sat there. A scepter she'd never seen or knew existed before. Something about it made her pick it up. Get inside the bed. Chris remembers that and steps over, opens the bag, and pulls the scepter out and looks at it. Looks at him. Smile. My name is Quintius. I am a scepter of Ooh, got some chats here. Let's see. The wand thing, a link to the scepter, it's sentient, it's sentient. And good day, liked and shared by Paul. What up, Paul? What a perfect moment to pop in. <laughs> good day, sir. It's always a joy to see Paul. Paul, one of my one of my longest term farms. Look at him rocking that red dice. I love to see it. <laughs> Hello, Paul. Ooh. See, Paul's probably already gone. Because Paul doesn't listen to this in real time. He listens to it later. So he pops in, says, hi, I like this, and I shared it to the socials, and then leaves before I can spoil anything. Ooh, did he ever snip in at the right time, right? <laughs> Sorry, I had to mention that. Uh, Paul Williams, love the man. Uh, my first Australian fan, I believe. But uh, she looks at the scepter in her hand, says, I am Quintius. I am a scepter of... Hey, Lex. So that's where we're going to end with that part of today's story. We're not done yet. But uh, we'll talk more about that part next time.
But I do have a little bit more still material to give. Or may run a few minutes over today. I like that everybody really jumped on that moment. It was it was meant to be a, a relatively big reveal surprise. So I'm I'm pretty excited to finally start to bring that thing into play. I will now continue. Dandy is awoken by the cool breeze on her skin. She shakes off the sleepiness, and it takes her a moment to figure out where she is. She realizes she's sitting on a chair on the front step of their home. Definitely late at night, stars are out, clear sky, a bit of a chill breeze. She looks around, looks down herself, and gathers up the robe she's wearing, makes her way back inside of the house. She has no idea how long she was sitting out there. Probably quite a while, she'd guess. Her hands are incredibly chilled, very, very cold. And she goes into the bedroom to wake up Michael, who, of course, wakes up as soon as she name. Sumter of blank. <laughs> and she weapons, tools, or amazing artifacts. Yeah, we've got one in the story. I've only ever had one. She wakes up Michael. Michael wakes up. Sees that she's upset. Is what's wrong, Danny? It's happened again. He kind of crawls over to the side of the bed to sit next to her. It had happened again. Well, this is the first time it's happened where she was outside. She'd been sleepwalking. Very often waking up in different places of the home. Most often in the chair next to Petal's bed. This was the first time she'd woken up outside. Every time this happens, Michael's completely unaware. Even sleepwalking, Dandy's so quiet, makes such little movement that he has no idea she, she's left the bedroom. As I mentioned, it's been happening since Petal left. Michael comforts Dandy, puts his arms around him. As to where it's normal for a parent to worry about their kids. Out there in the world, I understand that. And we knew this day would come eventually. Wanderlust would eventually take her and she'd want to go out there and see the world. Maybe not as much affected you, but it's going to happen. Dandy says, yeah, but it's not normal for a kender to worry. I'm worrying a lot. I mean, Andrew's children go out all the time. My mom did. I left. I wonder if she's worried. I wonder if she's worried about me right now. I wonder where my mom is. It's for another time. The point is, Andrew don't worry about things. Why am I worried? And Michael looks at her and says, because you know what's out there. You and your friends have had to deal with this world was created on what any person should ever have to go. You know what evil lies out there. Of course, you're going to be more worried for your daughter. She's out there without you. Understand that. But we've done everything we could to prepare her. She has abilities even we don't have. She's with people she can trust. 
just have to give her her time. She nods and they get back in the bed and she kind of cuddles up next to him. And after a few moments, she's back asleep. But Michael doesn't. He sits there, holding Dandy, looking down at her. He's much, much more worried. Now, much like Dandy, Mercy's thoughts are of artists most of the day. There's been absolutely no word since they left, though she didn't really expect one. It's not much of a way to communicate, and they felt it was better not to give the children a communications orb, that's how they talked to each other, when they left, because they didn't want to affect their decisions. I never brought that up in the past. They didn't give one, and I've often had a couple of people, well, I've had a couple of people say, well, how come they just take one of those? They didn't want to affect their children's decisions. They didn't want to be making them for them. They knew it was important that they go out there and live their life the way they were supposed to. Make sure that Seraph and everybody was on their right path. So, they didn't give a communication. So they know there's not really any way for her to find out what's, you know, where they are, what's going on. Since they'd left, Serenity had been completely peaceful. No issues, no battle, no attacks by anything. You know, this is the regular stuff, a criminal here and there. Black Rose still causing problems. But other than that, it's been relatively peaceful since they left. No special events. Now, Mercy had been quite worried when after they'd left, she waited 24 hours, she didn't want to affect anything, she went down inside to see what Artis had taken. And when she saw that Artis had taken the scepter, well, that made her very concerned. She remembered well the dangers of dealing with that scepter and how it almost broke her in half when she touched it for the first time. Now, even the most powerful mages she took it to couldn't ascertain what it was or what it did, only that it had great power. And then secretly, she often wondered about the mysterious warning she'd been given. Years before, after they'd finally defeated the Emperor of Oromon, portal had opened, a creature had come out, and Tobias had given the three magical artifacts they'd gathered to that creature. The creature asked who ruled here. She identified herself. It stepped up and said, there is a great and powerful magic here. Sense it. I highly recommend you be very careful. Side trying to Spent a long time thinking about that. The only thing she could ascertain was that it was talking about that scepter. It was the only thing she knew of that she didn't know what it did. All the other magic items, artifacts, what other kind of powers are there? Well, I mean, there's always the option it could be a person. She'd often wondered if it meant that scepter, that warning. They should not mess with it. Was an old and ancient power. For the record, it was, and I made that reference, uh, but nobody knew what it meant because they weren't. I'm just saying it's a callback. 
She, of course, took the opportunity to tell Darsh, Artemis, and Dandy, as soon as she knew, hey, can you think of any idea why she would have taken that? Or why maybe one of the other kids said, hey, grab, there's a scepter in there, grab that. You know what I mean? You have any idea why that might have happened? And none of them could think of any reason why, out of all the things she could have walked out of there with, and there's magical weapons and armors and items and potions, she walked out with that scepter. All they could do at this point is their faith in the gods that it was the right thing. But Darsh, sitting at his desk, eating and looking over a report he'd, been he'd just received, seems that recently there'd been some kind of disturbance on the Forbidden Island, one of his four islands. A commotion had been heard, though none of his guard ships had seen anything or anyone. There had been a commotion, noises heard, the sounds that they would expect to hear when a golem is walking around, because it's kind of loud. They didn't find any signs of ships, didn't find any beaten to pulp corpses, so Darsh is like, well, that's a good thing. That's usually what they find in these situations. Then someone's got to get a boat up close and try to hook it and pull it into the boat without going on the sand. And that gets messy. Sometimes animals have got to it. They can't walk on that island without making the golems angry. Is the scepter one of the ancient weapons that destroyed the world in the first place? Uh, no, Quincy, it is not. Uh, something happens with those later in the story that takes them out of play. Not going to say what it is right now because you're not at that part of the story. Uh, but those are not currently in play where they could be being used. For whatever reason that is. Good question, though. That is not the case. And none of those were sentient. We'll say that. None of those were intelligent. They were powerful, but they weren't intelligent. So... Reading this report, Darsh once again is like, oh, I need to put some more time into that island. I've been living here too long and we don't know anything about it. I need to reach back out to the mages again. So maybe get someone here to see if, you know, maybe something new they can make out of it. I, I gotta think that thing's obviously a danger. Got ships out there. I'm gonna have to add another ship or two and that's gonna be expensive. Like, I've got to deal with that island. And of course, thinking about threats and islands and boats, his thoughts go to Maeve. And of course, he smiles. Unlike his friends, he pictures his daughter out there standing victorious on a body of pile of the bodies of his enemies, glorious, holding that schnazzy sword that he bought for. In his mind, he just sits back and thinks of all the honor and powerful victories that his daughter's probably having at this very moment. Reaching down to his plate, he picks up some food and takes another bite of pie and continues to read the next report. Artemis, this is all not happening at the exact same minute, but this is happening, it's flashy areas to what's keeping them in play. Artemis makes her way down the hall back towards her rooms. The birth had gone well. The child and mother were both healthy and resting. As always, anytime she saw a child or a baby, she immediately started thinking of Seraph. It's a rare day. She didn't spend most of her time thinking of Seraph. She can't help but wonder where he is. He found Dina. Okay. And she also thinks about Draven. 
He was gone again, spending more and more time away. Ever since Seraph had left, he'd become almost fanatical about trying to find the man in the hat. He couldn't go out there and take care of his son. Then the least he could do was try to find the threat and take care of it before it could be a danger. Artemis, of course, was frustrated. She knew the truth. Couldn't tell him. What would happen if she did? How much more would that cause a problem? Although she wanted to really badly. More than anything else, though, all she wanted was her She thought as she finally entered back into her halls, walking by the door to Seraph's room. And then there's the last part. Deep, deep below the ground, he sat waiting. He'd received the summons unexpectedly and made great haste to return. Now he sat in the chamber, surrounded by the trophies and art that had been collected over many, many years. He'd spent much of his youth in this room. He'd learned a lot here. Finally, the door opened, and he stood as the two other men entered. He nodded in respect to his uncle, man who'd raised him. The other man, well, the sight of him, he had to do everything he could to keep from shuddering. Being near him was enough to make him feel uncomfortable, though he refused to let any of that be shown. Now that they'd all arrived, the three men sat. It is time, Vincentius, Bill said. Our allies say that both Seraph and the girl have passed through our duel. As we expected, he travels with Deacon and Mugen. It is time for us to move forward and take a more active part in the game. Sandius smiles and nods. I shall prepare to leave immediately. Good, his uncle said. Uncle Toridel said. We've been preparing for this day for a very long time. You know what must be done. Today begins your path. End the path towards vengeance for you and your father. Make no mistake, said. You must not personally interfere with Bloodborne. He must not ever come to see you. Not until it is too late for him. Vincentius stared at the man. It was like looking into a mirror that showed an aged and twisted reflection. To know that the man before him is twisted, hated, hate-filled husk was to one day be his fate? Not understand how that could ever happen. Sendius knew the price of failure, the price of the, f the future, should it proceed unchanged. His uncle spoke again. We will join you when we can. 
First, we must assist our allies in the next phase of this plan. They will need us if they are to be victorious. There is still much to be done. Rising, Vincentius, again, shakes hand, hugs his uncle in a professional polite way, and nodding a little bit, the older version of himself turns and leaves the room. There was much to be done. He must get back and pack things immediately. He had to get to the surface. Finally, it was time. They will pay. All of them. Finally, he can seek the vengeance for his father and take the first steps to completing his father's vision. But most importantly, he would change, the, he would change his fate. In this future, he would be the one. And that's where I'm going to stop for today. So, I do want to say thank you all for coming. I appreciate all the chatting and the questions and all of the interest. It's nice seeing new faces pop up and folks saying that it sounds good enough they want to go back and hear the other. I tell you, it's flattering that you guys like this story as much. Um, I say it every time. This is a huge, been a huge part of my life for majority of my life. And having the opportunity to share it with you all, like I get to here, uh, means the world to me. Thank you all for giving me this opportunity to share it. Because without you guys here, just a fat man talking to himself. <laughs> but um, the next episode of Merge, Wor Merge Worlds will be two weeks from today. Um, I will be back here with more adventure. I can guarantee you we'll be seeing some of Seraph's side um, and his adventures in Sharptooth Harbor. Uh, that's going to be popping up, and why that is a place I'm very excited to introduce. I thought of it a long time ago, and I'm excited to finally introduce that one into Merge Worlds. Um, but I'm excited to get to do so. Um, now, again, if any of you happen to have an iTunes account or a Spotify account, it would be awesome if you wouldn't mind going there and giving the podcast version of this, the free audio podcast, uh, a follow or a like or all the stars, or a review, or all of that. I can never remember which one does which. Um, but yes, if you wouldn't mind doing that, again, it definitely helps get the podcast and in the eyes of more people. And if you wanted to point friends or family members, people you know who you think might like this story, always looking to share it with as many people. I just like to tell this. Um, but yeah, I'll be back doing this in two weeks. I'll have the audio version of this episode up probably within the next few days, so keep an eye out for that. Um, over on my website, onlydraven.com, under the Characters tab, I'm going to start posting some of the duos. Uh, the duos are really two characters together, uh, some of them fighting, some of them doing different things. Uh, so I'm trying to do some of the minor events of Merge Worlds within the limited scope that I have. Uh, but they just added a bunch of new stuff on there again, so... I'm excited to share some that I'm working on one right now. Uh, but two weeks from today, we'll be back doing another episode of Merge Worlds. And I really do hope to see you there. Okay? And whether you're watching this today, tomorrow, or 10 years down the road, it would be awesome if you wouldn't mind clicking that like button. And if you're new here on YouTube, be sure to subscribe as well. So that way you can see all the videos and stories. as. All right? Thank you all for coming and hanging out with me. Thank you for letting me share my story. 
and I look forward to seeing you again. You all have yourselves a great night.